This episode of the podcast, Star Trek The Next Conversation, is brought to you by Ripley's, believe it or not, Hollywood. When your friends and family come to visit L.A., most Angelinos don't know what to do with them. I personally like to just uh, recommend a couple restaurants and get them out of my face for a bit. But there's an even bigger place to spend time that will take longer than a meal, and that's the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. It's it's great. We gotta go. <laughs> we haven't gone yet. We haven't gone. I've been uh, as a as a civilian, not as a Starfleet admiral who can get people two for one admission. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you want to see weird, memorable stuff? Come to Ripley's Believe It or Not in Hollywood. It's $20 a person, and it's well spent. Uh, that $20 will get one person in, unless you know the secret. That is, mention my favorite Star Trek uniform. That is the Wrath of Khan uniform, despite what Andy may or may not think. He's just mentioned different uniforms. <laughs> But yes, it's an amazing uniform. Uh, Someone, by the way, was yes. uh, debating. I don't want to confuse our listeners that uh, the uh, that they disagreed and that that Captain Kirk's uh, uniform from Star Trek: The Motion Picture was their favorite. Whose was Star uh, Someone, Captain Kirk? Someone wrote. Oh, uh, a fan. William Shatner. Uh, yes, William Shatner. William Shatner's favorite. No, uh, the fan Their was favorite. saying this is far too confusing. Right, so whatever. what I'd like to say is, Star Trek: The Next Conversation listeners get buy one get one free on adult admission at the auditorium in the month of July if you mention Admiral Myra's favorite Trek era costume, which is the Wrath of Khan Admiral's uniform. Yes, or you know, it's just the Wrath of Khan uniform, uh, and you will get buy one get one free admission. Ripley's will give you something to discover. Buh. Leave it. Podcast The Final Frontier. These are the conversations of the friendship Matt Myra and Andrew Secunda. Their continuing mission. To seek out old adventures with contrived civilizations. To boldly watch episodes that one of them has watched before. Oh, Andy. Uh, we're back. We're back in the show. I can't believe it. I'm back in the show. Uh, so happy to have you here. Good to be here, pal. Uh, haven't seen you in, uh, feels like a dog's age. And when in fact it was yesterday, <laughs> early hours ago. <laughs> it was really not not very long ago. <laughs> not long ago but, at all. But uh, we're here. We're talking Star Trek. We're, we're, we're almost ankle deep into season two of Star Trek The Next Conversation. Uh well, I guess this is season. Is, are we breaking up our show into seasons? Where, well, ours. Uh, yeah, sure. We're in well, season then I'm two. I have and to go fix that on the server and make it a thing. Can you do that? Yeah, probably. <laughs> are you going to do that? <laughs> eh, probably not. <laughs> um, so yeah, Andy, we we recorded two in rapid succession last week, so we did not have a ton of uh, emails because we were recording into a void. Uh, we certainly... Which I feel yeah. loosened us up, really made us get wacky, mm-hmm. and uh, delivered some of the greatest episodes this show has ever seen. 
By recording in between? By recording into a void. Into a void. By recording with no feedback whatsoever. it felt like, hi, Dory. Hey, it's Dory Shafrir, everybody. Star of Matt and Dory's Excellent Adventure, also available not on a network. Someone requested a a, uh, a Dory uh, TNC crossover, by the way. Oh. so That sounds great. Dory does not have a look on her face like she's that interested in it. <laughs> Honey, say hello to all the Star Trek people. Hello, Star Trek people. There's your crossover, great folks. Great job. <laughs> Thank you. How do you feel about trying to get pregnant in the 24th century? Are there even going to be people then? There will be if we believe Star Trek. Wow, somebody. Okay. Somebody does not support her husband. Somebody is interest. reading <laughs> the New York Times a little too much. Uh, I mean, I think we're going to make babies in pods. In the, oh. in the last couple of episodes, Dory, Baby there was uh, uh, Deanna Troy was impregnated by a twinkly light that uh, just flew into the ship. That's something you can consider in the 24th century. <laughs> that sounds dangerous. <laughs> it was, was actually a painless pregnancy, <laughs> she, she, but it did put the ship in great danger. She was happy the whole time, and when she was done, she had the same... Uh, it didn't affect her her physical uh, uh, form in any way. It was as though she had not had a baby. She kept it tight down there. <laughs> it wasn't described that way on the show, but that, strike, that was implied. That strike zone stayed hide and tight, honey. <laughs> strike uh, I hear zone. Not a fan of uh, strike zone. No. <laughs> yes. I think it's imprecise. I think it's perfect because everybody's got a different strike zone. You're saying it because it could be anywhere. Correct. Too wide an area. Chest to right above the knees, which is my favorite areas on all ladies. Hi, honey. Welcome to Star Trek. What you did? What's that? Oh, that's what Matt was already apologizing for, and I literally did not even hit my my uh, my sensors in any way because my house is constantly in disarray. Uh, Perfect. So So I feel at home. If anything, I feel more at home. Sorry for that interlude. I bet people enjoyed the hearing Dory's opinion on Strike Zone and uh, hearing Andy and I explain space pregnancies. At least the vocal uh, listeners seem to constantly talk about their enjoyment of our of our um, disorganization and uh, distraction. I don't know whether that's because they're the only ones who have remained listening, and the rest of the people don't bother to write in. There actually there are actually thousands of you, and, (laughs) and we appreciate each and every one of you, Matt. Yes, sir. It's time to welcome some people into the Admirals Club. Oh, boy. I feel like we should have an Admirals Club sting. Yeah? Uh, you mean something like this? Oh, I didn't plug in. <laughs> oh, I was so cocky and proud. Oh, uh, boy. Andy did it again. Well, guys, we've screamed Oops, out. So he did it again. <laughs> oh, boy. You're just trying to fit in another <laughs> another Bubblegum Pop Girl song so you can play it. He's looking for no, right now. I'm not doing you anything. I don't understand what as, you're as saying. As a fan of Bubblegum Girl Pop, I can't. I've I really never, can't have a problem. By the way, I've never heard the uh, that phrase used. Li- don't worry about that commercial that's playing before nothing. Um, bubble gum pop? You've never bubble heard gum pop. I've never heard that exact term. Oh, I enjoy it. Anyway. Andy, you teach me a lot about... Uh, ooh. Matt, how do you get into the Admirals Club? Oh, Andy, all you got to do is leave a five-star review on iTunes, and you could be welcomed into the Admirals Club. Now, before we even get to the Admirals Club, uh, 
admittees, and these are only the ones that we're mentioning on the podcast. If you leave us a five star review, you're in. Maybe there'll be some gift at some point in the future. Not that likely, but it's possible. What kind of gift are you thinking? I don't about? know. You'll be invited on a cruise with me and Matt, something like that. <laughs> what if we what if we somehow organize the Star Trek TNC or they have Star Trek cruises. Uh huh. Where you can take a cruise with uh, you know, they have all sorts of events. There's cast members, people involved in production that are there to give talks and all that kind of stuff. A lot of people have sent us tweets about it and asked if we would be there. At, and, the, uh, at the convention in Las Vegas? The convention in Las Vegas and the cruise. Oh, and, we uh, will not be at either. No. Because we work. But would we go on a cruise? I, if it fit I've our never schedule? been on a cruise. Like if 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 they if they oh, like if someone, made us a thing if and, they said hey we'd like to have you we're paying your for your stay right. and uh, you'll be uh, given a couple of slots to record podcasts right sure. sure knock out a couple of podcasts on the open sea why yeah. not okay if you'd like to see Andy or I at a Star Trek <laughs> convention of sorts email the people in charge whoever yes. they may be that sounds like a good idea and then anyway. if you're also if you're here's what I'd like you to do if you're um if you're at Star Trek Las Vegas next weekend. Uh, go swing over to the Anobos booth and say hello to our uniform expert, John Cooley. He'll be there at the Anobos booth, making sure everything looks perfect. I tell you, we give no more promotion. We give so much promotion to the to those to our friends over at Anobos for no compensation because I that's the best ad possible because we're doing it. Out of a full-on respect for their... That's fair. For their goods. That Have you ever fair. seen my jacket from them? No. Huh, hang on one second. Andy, read... Who's first into the Admirals Club? Well, before you go away, uh, I, yeah. just, I just, we just have to resolve this. We got two donations this week. Unasked for donations. This is going to be after the Admirals Club. We're going to do this. Okay, very good. Because we're going to announce a whole new club. Okay, very good. So here are the Admirals Club folks... First one, uh, love it from Bucky the Third. Five stars, mostly leaving this to be read on the Admirals Club. Love the podcast. <laughs> you know what, Bucky? Any reason you have to leave us five star review, uh, a five star review is is welcome, even if it's self serving. Myra's knowledge and Andy's lack of knowledge make it great. Uh, from Akron's, your necessary guide to Star Trek TNG and culture. Of the last 25 years, I enlisted for this journey across the galaxy after getting hooked on Matt's pop culture fluency and wit after hearing his James Bonding and Talk Salad podcasts, and then promptly suspended my strong Star Wars bias and opened my mind to the wonderful world of Trek. I have so far not been disappointed, um, even though the first season was rough. That said, Matt and Andy have been the real stars of uh, this listening and watching experience. I'm so glad to have embarked. Thank you so much. Uh, Adam is his real name. Five stars for bribery from L. Bliss. Um, only re- reason I'm writing reviews is to gain entry into the Coveted Admirals Club. You know what? You're in. Don't care why. Matt and Andy have a genuine friendship and work well off each other. Thank you. Although I question the genuine friendship part. Matt can't dispute it because he's in the other room looking for... Hey, I'm a- looking for things. <laughs> uh, better than the Ferengi um, from Agent Schnappy. Uh, Captain Matt and Lieutenant Commander Andy were... Uh, I don't know if I concur with that. Uh, I feel like, you know, maybe I'm an outside force. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a Romulan command captain. I'm a, I'm a Q. I'm a Borg. Uh, whatever. Uh, we're able to resolve my border dispute in record time with only minor damage to my tertiary shield nodes. 10 out of 10 would have mediate again. Does that make sense to you? 
He's not listening. Um, Star Trek TNC is my anxiety. <laughs> Uh, by Nuts VT. Since I was a child, I have wanted to be in the Admirals Club. The podcast can make that dream come true. Five friggin' stars. I love it. Uh, and then someone else says, love it. D Deck 2484. Listening to Andrew progress through his quest of finding the perfect level. <laughs> it really is true. I still think Matt is much louder. <laughs> you hear that, Matt? No. Um, what did he say? He said that he thinks you're louder always with the levels. <laughs> uh, that's a, I actually I level. I put us through software after we do the podcast to bring everybody to the same exact level. So, so you keep claiming this is a very relatable listen. I'm hooked. And lastly, from Life Lover, he or she says, "Great, now I have genie in a bottle stuck in my head." You're very welcome. Can't wait for Andy to fuck up again. So you have this stuck in your head. <laughs> Should see her in Las Vegas. It's quite a show. Oh, really? I would love to. Boy, we are I messed up the cue. <laughs> This would it be? just reminds me of the Britney Spears slot machine in Las Vegas. This, now, this has got to drive you crazy if you're sitting there playing s- slots and this song is playing constantly. Or is it in It's a out? variety of songs. Variety of songs. I see. Andy, I couldn't find my Enterprise flight jacket, and it's, uh, it's really bothering like me. It. Well, you'll have to find it later. Luckily, we don't have... Uh, we're already on board. You're already in your uniform. <laughs> um... So, uh, Matt? Yes, sir. It's uh, time to open up the hails. No. Oh, no? Oh, oh no, you're right. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow, we're going to be hearing that song a lot if that's the cue for that. <laughs> this is... You know what the saddest part is? Uh, yeah. I really like this song. Who and doesn't? It's a great song. Such a great, hooky song, and now I'm going to have it associated with my screwing up. <laughs> All right, so Andy you fucked up, and he got I'm the song. I'm a podcaster, uh, so, but I'm not really practiced at it. We got a couple of donations this week, uh, and we are going to start a new club. So you're in the Admirals Club, you leave us a five-star review. But we're opening up what we're calling the United Federation of Planets President's Circle. It's amazing. Yeah. You have gone above and beyond, and you are now serving the highest office in all of space. These are the people that have somehow figured out a way to make us a donation on PayPal through our email at sttncpod at gmail.com. I don't know how they did it. We didn't set it up. But I think you can just do it. That's why uh, that's why these guys are the presidents. Um, and uh, the first one was from Cosmo Moore. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that was me. The first one was from Cosmo Moore, and he gave us $25.78, which was a weird amount. Is that Star Trek significant? What was it again? $25.78. It, it has to have a specificity because this is from uh, at Picard's underscore fish. Which is oh, Livingston is that Livingston Picard? Picard? Yes. Oh, I love Livingston Picard. Very funny uh, Twitter. You should check it out. Um, it's Cosmo Moore that writes it, and he's re- sent us very specific tweets and specific emails. And he says, hey, guys, 
Timba, his arms wide, and he will get it in four seasons. I am thoroughly enjoying the podcast. I know it's extra work on top of your real jobs. Your ready room, fish buddy, Livingston Picard. What was the amount again? Twenty-five seventy-eight. Oh, seventy-eight. Let's see. You look that up. I'm going to go on to the next one. John Wolf. Uh, sent us $125. Oh, my God. Isn't that insane? John, you are too kind. He says it's for the producer fund. Oh, God, we need that so bad. Rule of acquisition, number 125. Oh, wait, he had a... I think he said a Ferengi thing. Rule of acquisition... It's uh, a Ferengi thing, the rules of acquisition. Right. Uh, num- I thought it said something on the title, but uh-huh. maybe not. Uh, number 125, you can't make a podcast if you're dead. It's very true. I might die from doing all this podcasting. <laughs> um, the, you know, what's funny about the rules of acquisition is they had to all get written by the writer's room, and I just feel like that was an annoying task that was sent to them. Oh. we got to write up these rules of acquisition. How many are there? Like 100? Oh, God. Anyway. we got to write them up? No, they had to. Oh, they had to write them up. On Deep Space you, you were acting like you were the person. You were the writers. That's what happened there. That's <laughs> I'm in, it's totally discombobulated. Uh, By the way... Uh, renowned improviser, Andy Sagan. Uh, you know what? <laughs> if I was on a stage, guys, <laughs> you would see a, a mental clarity unparalleled. Um, so, uh, on a stage performing improv. I'm not good at stand-up. <laughs> Yet... Um, not that I've Yet. Had. What a, what a <laughs> bold confidence. Now that I'm a professional comedy writer and I spend my weekends podcasting, I'm also going to pick up stand-up. Why not? Um, uh, by the way, I forgot uh, to play this instead as our, uh, as our um, jingle. Wait a second. Am I doing this correctly? Yes. Uh, somebody sent us a, a new jingle here. Here it is. Matt and Andy, uh, after listening to the last episode, I would like to submit the following jingle. Matt and Andy are so great. It's their singing that I only hate. Join the Agrum Club! You know what? Yes. <laughs> Accepted. <laughs> so, uh... So that's another alternate. That's a that's a bonus track right there, guys. And now it's oh, hang on. <laughs> Captain, Captain, we are being hailed. Uh, it's time to open up the hails. Ooh, officially. And the hails are going to be long today, Matt. I'm warning you in advance. If you got to go into oh Jesus Christ. Do we have cryosleep? already 16 minutes into the podcast, Andy. If you got cryosleep. Look, we have several episodes that we taped in a row, so yeah, stuff Yeah, but I think you can, you can really... Peel it away? Just be a very good editor. I'm not a good editor. I've, I've learned this about you. Yeah. I've, I, I've been in a room with you for I'm a, cre- a year Oh, now. that's not fair. Well, Andy... One thing you don't like is cutting things. I don't like cutting things, but I'm good at That's all I whittling down that. the script. That's all I meant by it. To um, whatever the case. Um, all right. Uh, first, we're going to just make a call back to a uh, to a um, you know a perspective we heard uh, a few weeks ago. <laughs> is this about Andy being? Uh, what, what was the? What well, was here's the, what it is, oh, Matt. Go ahead. There's no bigger asshole in the world than this. Uh, Andrew Zakunda guy. Oh my god! There's no bigger asshole in the world. 
you really had to hammer it home with the second one. Anyway, uh, you know, there were some, uh, there were some other thoughts, you know, that, <laughs> that uh, people had. Um, and, uh, you know, I just thought all perspectives, you know, maybe should be uh, heard. And uh, here's another one. Hi, this is Engage Changer. You may know me as a member of the Admirals Club. Yeah, You know, I used to think the biggest asshole in the world was Commander Bruce Maddox of Measure of a Man. <laughs> Even though he drank the Kool-Aid at the end, he's still a huge asshole. But now we all know that the biggest asshole in the world is the guy that called you on your voicemail and told you you were an asshole, Andy. What an asshole. <laughs> Not happy with that guy. All right. Keep up the good work. Thank you for the uh, support, Engage Changer. Uh, here's one more. Listen, Andrew Secunda is a goddamn American treasure. <laughs> you know, so people are, you know, everybody has their own take, okay? But uh, all that being said, um, our friend uh, r- called in again. Oh, no. <laughs> From the same number. And this, this, I think this segment should be called Andy Settles a Score. <laughs> Only he had. <laughs> this, this is what he had to say. How does it feel to not know what in the fuck you're talking about? I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I will say this. I love the brevity of his email, of his uh, voicemails. That was it? <laughs> that was it. That's beautiful. And uh, I also will point out he didn't, uh, he didn't specify me nope. this time. Nope. That could have been anybody. Could have been for uh, both of us. Maybe it, it was. Been for both of us. Um, I assume he doesn't have the wrong number because he called me up by name. Um, okay, then we got a tweet from Timothy A. Johnson. This mm-hmm. is just a general thing. Uh, Pulaski was an asshole, plain and simple. Crusher forever. Um, so uh, thank you, Timothy. Then there's uh, this voicemail from, let's see, 66. Six. Oh, I'm not allowed to say it online, am I? Oh, Jesus, Caristo. This is really going to make me hate that song. Um, okay, here it is. I think you guys should uh, definitely uh, quit your day jobs and write podcast songs. Uh, my name's Matt. I'm from Kansas City, and this is a local call for me, which is excellent. Cool. And, um, oh, uh, I think uh, the nickname for the wife's genitalia, not genitalia, <laughs> reproductive parts, uh-huh. would be uh, Utopia Planitia. <laughs> Starships. That's great. <laughs> a little bit closer to a metaphor. Anyway, have a good day. Thanks for what you do. Uh, love that suggestion. Utopia Planitia, where the USS Enterprise was built, hovering Mars, hovering oh, orbiting That's Mars. That's where it was born. That's where it was born. Um, okay, so then, um, regarding, I believe it was the child, uh, uh, just wanted to weigh in on the issue mentioned on 10 Forward and uh, the windows, because uh, you were commenting that the windows were sort of seemed wrong, they were tilted the wrong way. Yes, I did. I suspect that the reason is because the original six-foot model does not have the correct window detail to match the 10-forward set. It wasn't until the construction of the four-foot model that the saucer exterior windows were redone to match. So at the time of filming, they did the best they could. 
Hmm. And then he has a, a quote from Memory Alpha uh, about how it was uh, exactly that. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, Silly Putty uh, tweeted at us uh, a lot of funny tweets this week uh, because we played that um, Good Morning America thing. Yes. Wait, no, it wasn't Good Morning America. What did you play where it had, uh, was it an award show? Where it oh, had... Hoop Eye. <laughs> right. I really comic wish, relief. I really wish I could, un- it's from Silly Putty, I really wish I could unhear War's pronunciation of Whoopi Goldberg. I hear it every time she comes on screen. Hoop Eye. <laughs> what is a Hoop Eye? Uh, Neil Studd wrote us, uh, tweeted at us, one of a number of stories which, oh, this is regarding, um, regarding um, the child as a whole, which was pretty yeah. much our take on it. One of a number of stories which could have concluded, and let's never speak of it again. That was hilarious. And let us never speak of this again. Engage. <laughs> um, oh, I didn't, I didn't credit who, who sent us the memory alpha information. God darn it. I'm sorry. Write us in next week and I'll mention your name. Um, anyway, Mike Whitman from South Charleston wrote us, Guinan, she is a liar. Or at least she becomes one through subsequent retcons. It becomes established later that she did know Picard. Yep. Um, Picard. Prior to her coming to the Enterprise. Yep. Um, but Picard didn't know her. Oh, interesting. He says, remember her but description he did. of the relationship? Uh uh, beyond it goes beyond friendship and beyond family from best of both worlds and perhaps old Guinan can send something's off when Wesley is toying with him it's a time it's a maybe she yeah maybe she is and aware is giving of his... him misinformation which I thought was an interesting amendment to the Wesley Crusher as a oh, psychopath theory like um, also the character was named after the infamous prohibition saloon keeper Texas Guinan oh that's cool I didn't know that I didn't know that either Finally, Matt, do you remember a Star Trek special on TV before season two aired in fall 1988? I think it was the airing of a recently discovered full-color version of The Cage. Yes, I do remember that. And uh, it was right before Star Trek V in 89, and they had Shatner in the special. He revealed nothing about the story. Shatner was playing coy, so there was probably useful footage to show. Um... Stephen Heckert wrote us, Silence has always been, Silence has no lease, which was the last episode mm-hmm. we uh, covered. Uh, this is why I don't like it. Uh, it's always been one of my least favorite episodes. The entire episode boils down to Picard playing a hand of poker with the alien and the alien uh, unable to call his bluff and folding. The bluffer Hulk guard oh, being that true. Picard will let the self-destruct run down to zero. Although I don't think that the alien was, this is what's even worse, the alien had nothing to fear. He just was like, oh, well, interesting. Interesting that you guys face death that way. All right, I'll let you go. <laughs> Seems like that's what it was. Yeah. Yes, I think that's absolutely what it was. Really annoying. Um, and then uh, he also comments on something many people did, which is when Worf and Riker were prepared to beam over to the Yamato, Worf boasts about his knowledge of the Yamato's layout, but it's the Enterprise's sister ship. So everyone would know what the layout was, which oh, was reasonable. War. Um, Kurt Brannage uh, tweeted at us um, that uh, finally the last episode asked the greatest Star Trek's greatest question is Christina Aguilera married? <laughs> um, Stephen Harcourt uh, answered my question about the music. Harcourt Fenton. Uh, where which Picard is listening to when he's preparing to die? Gymnopede. Oh, you ha- oh you already had it. Well, listen, people uh, people talk to me also, Andy. Okay, there you go. Um, let's see. Here's another voicemail. Another voicemail. Sorry. Uh, oh, no, don't. 
God. <laughs> We heard an entire break of uh, Oops, I Did It Again, which means you must have already solved your problem. I did. Oh, congratulations. 816 Trek TNC. Someone just sent it in. It was cute. And that's our, uh, it was our rendition of the, uh, of the thing, although ours was a little bit more discordant. And long. By design. And unnecessary. Um, and we're sorry. Okay, Casey Anderson. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. You know what? This might go in Prime Corrective, so I'm going to open up the Prime Corrective. Okay. Can he find the song and do it correctly? Of course. <laughs> but this is going to be the one with Riker's Bone. Time for retrospectives. Truth is our objective. Riker's Bone. It's a Prime Corrective because Matt and got it wrong. Uh, I don't think, in fairness, that uh, Matt got it wrong, but this is regarding the Cheers versus Star Trek crossovers. It's just I missed one of the many. Um, uh, you missed a, a couple, but I, I don't think... You I were know. only asked to, in fairness to you, you were only asked to come up with two, and you came up with five. So um, uh, the first is Patrick Stewart. Uh, of course. And of course. Plays a Shakespearean actor, best friend, almost love interest of Frasier. Uh, my second... Plays if, a guy that thinks Frasier's gay and thinks right. they're dating. Sounds great. It's hilarious. Uh, my favorite, uh, second favorite is when B.B. Newworth Lilith appears in mm-hmm. a TNG episode as an alien who lusts after Riker. That sounds great, too. Also great. Um, and I was chatting with my brother, and he also mentioned Rene, how do you say it? Uh, Argelito. Arbergenois. Uh, you know. Was oh, a, no. a guest in Frasier where he played Frasier's mentor. Uh, oh, he yes. was great at that. He was basically. He was on Frasier. It's Fraser, Fraser, not uh, yeah. And uh, Rachel Bloom, uh, not my friend Rachel Bloom from of of note. Is that oh? oh interesting. That seems like it was a mistake. It was. Oh. Uh, So <laughs> I right. used to enjoy this song so much. Uh, um, <clears throat> she says Dan Butler was also on an episode of Voyager. Who's Dan Butler? Bulldog Briscoe. Okay. And uh, Saul Rubinek was also in the Saul next Saul Rubinek is in The Next Generation. He's in the episode The Most Toys. He plays a uh, fiancé of uh, Daphne. Oh, there you go. Wow. Um, it's funny when the uh, cue uh, went off. Uh, I thought you were playing a cue for me name dropping Rachel Bloom. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's clever. I was like, oh, no, that's another one of my screw ups. Uh, so um, John wrote us about the holodeck issue of the murder. The the We were, we were questioning, um, could Riker have even killed Worf? Could Worf have even killed Riker when killed, Worf was Worf angry right. and when he, he was stand down, Lieutenant. Yeah. Right. And so we were debating like uh, um, so that. And uh, he writes us, Picard shoots a bunch of Borg, which we just dis- dis- described. Yes. But he says, but immediately 
after he says to uh, he, after that he says to Lily doesn't he say it to oh Lily he says to Lily without, yeah without the safety protocols even a holographic bullet can kill go ahead that's all he's saying I'd be curious to go to the, so, guys bring me some knowledge I don't have come uh-huh. on alright well, I think our question, uh, I think, is is a valid. Uh, well, we'll get retort. into. It. I want to get into this all this holodeck shit with the holodeck episode. Okay, we're very about to good. Cover. Jesus, he is so. Guys, this is what I got to deal with constantly. I mean, I want to bring up things with the holodeck, but they all have to pertain to this episode. Just and yet, you're talking about the holodeck from a previous write episode. Write down when the email. <laughs> this is not fair. have one more all right just one more Uh uh-huh and it's regarding the star wars force ghost if you're looking for all right this is information i'd like go ahead andy and this one is from uh david osmo um who gave me the pronunciation of his name always do that if you want to pronounce right because i have no ability to read words this is true andy has little ability um uh, from what I've seen, even most Star Wars fans get this uh, partially wrong because um, you have to have sort of heard what George Lucas says about it off behind the scenes. Uh, Not all. What I was thinking was that maybe everybody maybe has the force is cool. I just feel like the Trade Federation would have been an interesting thing to pursue. If uh, we did, I did a live show with uh, Jonah Ray back at Sketchfest uh, two years ago. Uh, it was called My Ray in the Highway, and uh, we ended up improvising this lengthy dueling. Dueling Lucases, really? Where we were just going back and forth as George Lucas, and uh, it was amazing. And we were supposed to record the episode; it never happened. So interesting. But I really had a great time with those Dueling Lucases. Um, I mean, how long ago was that? Two years ago. Interesting. Um, you know that there is now at UCB uh, a uh, a George Lucas uh, talk show uh, starring uh, Connor Ratliff. That's who, great. Uh, on. Uh, the stepfather's with me. Listen, I don't own a George Lucas impression. No one does. It's very funny. People should check it out. Um, but your impression was also funny, so maybe he uh, cribbed it. He's a geek. Maybe listen to Nerdist. No. I just like to slander people. Yes, I like to slander as well. Anyway, not all Jedi are able to become Force ghosts when they die. Qui-Gon was, in fact, the first to figure out how to do it, and he passed the knowledge on to Yoda and Obi-Wan. Wow. Well, how do you establish Yoda that? I guess this is off screen. In the years after he was killed, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, Yoda reveals to Obi-Wan that he's been communing with oh, Qui-Gon. That's true. Yes, he does say that. For some time, and tells Kenobi to do so as well while he's waiting on Tantooine watching over Luke. Obviously, Anakin never had the opportunity to learn his trick before he died, so so his becoming a Force ghost is explained as Obi-Wan and Yoda coming in and preventing him from becoming one with the Force, which is normally what happens when a person dies. Ooh, a BRB. Uh, in the Star Wars universe. This, of course, doesn't explain why Qui-Gon and Anakin don't disappear before dying the way that Obi-Wan and Yoda do, but I guess that can be chalked up to it being different circumstances in both cases. Qui-Gon was doing it the first time and perhaps Obi-Wan and Yoda figured out a better less painful way of do- they're doing it during their years of study ooh he just got a package um, as Anakin explained above it's also worth mentioning I think we're meant to believe that Qui-Gon stopping to meditate before his final fa- fight with Maul oh wow he's really an effective Star, Star Wars apologist <laughs> uh, is supposed to be him preparing himself to do this trick in case he gets killed so there may be some benefit of the doubt to giving Lucas may have already come up with that thought beforehand uh, also Qui-Gon's ghost doesn't show up at the end of Return of the Jedi because his appearance wasn't for Luke's benefit uh, and Luke obviously would have no idea who Qui-Gon was I'm sure who that dad um, 
That's it, pal. Oh, we are out of the hailing zone. That wasn't so bad, was it? Could have been worse, Andy. And it has been. Oh, geez. What did, what happened? Why did I? Oh, hang on. Here we go. I guess I proved I am that innocent based on my ability to do this. I mean, it's remarkable how um, the same you stay at podcasting. <laughs> Look, uh, people are here for my personality, my sparkling personality. It certainly does sparkle, Andy. Thanks, pal. All right. So we are talking about the episode of Star Trek, the next generation elementary dear data, which as a child, was one of my favorite. And as a grown-ass man, not sure what I was thinking. Interesting. We'll get into it. Okay. Right after this. Oh, Andy, we are back. Thank you to our sponsors, no one. If you'd like to fill that silence with the uh, sponsorships, get at us. Uh, <laughs> we took a, a silent break for no sponsors. Well, it'll be like half a second long. This episode of Star Trek The Next Conversation brought to you by The Void. <laughs> Coming to Hulu this fall. Uh, so the episode is Elementary Dear Data, production number 129. It aired the week of December 5th, 1988. Matt, that week, America was listening to Look Away by Chicago. I'll say they were. Uh, well, the UK was getting in the holiday mood with Mistletoe and Wine by Cliff Richard. Oh, I would like to oh, hear I that. Love a, love a Cliff Richard. Put that on at some point. What would you like to week. hear? What's the name of it? Mistletoe and Wine. I'm happy to turn off Chicago You know, anytime. I only know Cliff Richard because of references to him in The Young Ones. Oh, I know Cliff Richard mostly... How do I know Cliff Richard? I mean, you know, he pops up in some Beatles documentaries as the lame British version of Elvis and... Uh, he also is phenomenally uh, parodied, I feel, in uh, in Love Actually oh. uh, with Bill Nighy. Uh, and I, you know, it's just, that's Cliff Richard. I always think, uh, English listeners, uh, am I correct? This is, all, this is all of Cliff Richard that has seeped into American culture. Why don't you put on mistletoe and wine while we're... Oh, I, I was about to click on it, but... Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> Sorry, this is a live Thank version you. of Mistletoe Thank and Wine. very much indeed. It was Look, live. I am an uncle ten times over, so I know that Christmas was invented. The beginning's kind of like Look Away. <laughs> it's great watching the excitement on kids' faces on Christmas morning as they're ripping into their presents, <laughs> even though they're completely oblivious to the fact that on the television is a perfectly fabulous video. <laughs> I can see why the young whites parodied him. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Uh, so anyway, back to my question to our English uh, listeners or UK listeners. Uh, am I correct in the assumption that I think of Cliff Richard as a very lame version of Elvis? Very well, lame one, British version of Elvis. So it doesn't sound like that because this is a Christmas song? Well, it also doesn't sound like that because Cliff Richard lived far longer than Elvis. I see. Anyway, Sidney Sheldon's The Sands of Time was still a bestseller. Switch back to look away. I can't handle this. Um, <laughs> um, and Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad debuted at number one in the box office. With Richard in the sixties. Okay. Oh, this is a this is a documentary. Keep saying you love me. 
Yeah, I see the Elvis thing. A teenager's romance that goes on and on. So he just became a square later? Uh, listen, I, I don't know. It's hard to exist in a market when Tom Jones is there dominating, you know? Right. Tom Jones is, uh, well, he's Welsh, but boy, is he a... Is he a machine, that Tom Jones? Nationwide is on your side. Um, Five million people were left homeless after a cyclone. I shouldn't be reading this on a podcast. (laughs) Uh, Just finish the sentence. After a cyclone destroyed vast amounts of property in Bangladesh. Uh, Remember that, folks. Uh, Vocalist Roy Orbison died of a heart attack at the age Uh, of 52. Roy, in the midst of a traveling Wilburys. And Time Magazine's cover. Now, there you go. She's a lady. Why not? Why not? I wonder if this section will just turn into Matt playing the tracks he wants to listen to. Tom Jones was pretty great. I saw Tony Bennett still is at the bowl recently. How was he? Uh, just the voice, like there was no, there was no difference. Oh, really? That's amazing. He did do a That's thing incredible. that I just loved uh-huh. which is after every song he kind of like did this almost like these hands like both like outstretched like uh-huh. we did it kind of a thing. <laughs> uh, it was pretty amazing um time magazine featured uh, ceo of nabisco efros johnson with the header of the, this man could pocket a hundred million dollars from the largest corporate takeover in history has the buyout craze gone too far oh my god that was the largest corporate takeover in history that's amazing isn't that crazy that's amazing also a preview of the b2 stealth bomber and that's oh, I love it a b2 stealth bomber all right well that brings us into the uh, description of the show this was directed by rob bowman and written by brian allen lane question everybody Brian Allen Lane writes this character of Moriarty in this in this here Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh-huh. This character of Moriarty comes back. Andy, I don't want to spoil anything, but I know you're going to ask: do, do we ever see Moriarty again? The answer is yes. I won't tell you how. Does Brian Allen Lane get a character payment for Moriarty? Oh, interesting. Because he didn't create it. So if you create a character, like you write the episode, even if you're even if it's like group written by a bunch of the writers, if you write the episode that a character is introduced, every time that character comes back, you get a small character payment. I it's a very interesting question. It's such a weird scenario because it's not it's Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's character, uh-huh. right? Who it's now in public domain. That's why there's so much Sherlock bullshit. Right. Um and uh but he certainly but could argue but that he's, he's adding, reinvented. He's totally reinventing the character. Yeah. It's also an interesting question, even just about like the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> like, what are the? They must. There must be a reinvention clause. No, but they don't. It doesn't. It's all in public domain. You can do whatever you want with Sherlock Holmes. Well, I know, but the writers must get credit for the characters if they're used and stuff. If it's the oh, same so you're saying like in the, the next in the next Sherlock movie, if Robert Downey Jr. is playing Sherlock again, yeah, do the characters who wrote the first movie get any? payment for that character i, I they That's would a great have question to, right? i don't know they would have to i don't know if you're the writers guild please tell us <laughs> yeah if anybody from the writers guild is listening uh that would be an even more interesting question or if brian allen lane is listening please tell us did you get a character payment uh here's the synopsis after the enterprise arrives three days early for a scheduled rendezvous laforge persuades sherlock holmes fan data to use the extra time in the holodeck to play the role of the detective 
with the engineer as Watson. But Holmes, or Holmes' original cases are no challenge to Data's memory. So Dr. Pulaski, who has yet to accept the android as anything more than a machine, challenges him to solve a new computer-generated case. LaForge ob- obliges by programming a case that's a challenge, to match for, uh, challenge match for Data. A professor of Moriarty who takes on consciousness. Holmes's arch enemy not only kidnaps Pulaski in a bid to become real, but also threatens to take over the Enterprise with a Victorian gadget that can control the ship from within the holodeck. In Top Hat and Tails, Picard enters the program to confront Moriarty and convinces him his plan is useless because of the construct's true nature. A mellowed Moriarty, already transcending the character's fictional bounds, relents, but asks to be recalled if a process for solidifying holodeck creations into real matter is ever found and the captain agrees there we go i'm very excited to talk about this Uh, get into it pal okay so this is the episode let's start with the captain's log as we do every week here on the show captain's log stardate 42286.3 we have arrived on station at coordinates 3629 by 584, three days early for our rendezvous with the USS Victory. There is nothing to do now but hold this position and wait. All right. I love an episode that starts with uh, downtime. Yeah. I always like day-to-day life on the Enterprise. You know what I do, too? It makes. I was going to say that I feel like this episode... Had a little bit of a feel of a uh, like a backup story in comics. You know what a backup story is? Yes. Where it's sort of like the the characters just chilling out. It's like Jarvis, you know, making mm-hmm. breakfast for the Avengers or whatever. Um, it's all about Jarvis the, uh, Avengers and toast uh, roast. It's all about the Avengers' uh, different breakfast tastes. Yeah. And then something happens. Something a minor villain comes in. Um, yeah, so uh, Assistant Engineer Clancy and Elizabeth Ramsey is here, who I we remember mostly as uh, Helen Hunt's sister on Mad About You. Oh, really? Yeah. And here she is right here. Yes, come in. Is there a problem? Chief Engineer like... LaForge called for me, urgent. Oh, of course. He's um, over there with the victory. Oh, boy. I love how confused Data gets by things. I've just had a strange conversation with your assistant. Although it is three days until we rendezvous with Starship Victory, she she believes it has already arrived. Not the Starship, my friend. The original. This is a weird way into the story. Very weird. Um, I kind of feel like they just wanted to get the specific of the original Enterprise ship in there. The Victory, you mean? Yes. Oh, it was the Victory. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. Um... I mean, in, in in rewatching this now, oh, that's even less. Why is he obsessed with the victory again? What did he say? They're rendezvous with the victory. Oh, the rendezvous and, with the and LaForge served under the captain of the victory, so it's a gift for him. But why, Captain Zimbada? Uh, why what? Why is he giving him a gift? Why story wise are we looking at it? It's basically the same question you asked. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Like, it would make more sense if they were then going out to uh, reenact a Horatio Hornblower story, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, if they're going to go out and do a into the holodeck for some sort of uh, 100% some sort of ship uh, thing which would have been a very cool episode that would have been great and uh, it would have been on point and everything yeah. did they, they never did a no I mean you see them doing they have they're on the Enterprise 
Not to mention sailing ship in generations on the holiday. You know why I feel so crammed in is this, and at the end, you know, Picard comes in and he comments on the ship, and uh, those were wonderful times, and you know, talks about talks about old naval history. This is totally much more of a Picard thing than it is a Geordi thing. Geordi, of course, has the same level of fetishism he about this non-human wooden ship <laughs> this mechanical object maybe it's vehicles that he has a thing for well it is interesting that he says the following statement i served with him as an ensign sure wish he'd been in command of this victory wind and sail that's the proper way to move a ship but jordy your starfleet specialty is antimatter power Dilithium regulators? That's exactly why this fascinates me, Dave. Jesus it's Christ, Andy. Control. That was a crazy noise. Sorry. Wow. Oh, oh. Boy, oh boy. I just, oh, no! Hey, here's a question. Is yes. Britney Spears still married? <laughs> I think she recently started a relationship with a fella, and I think she might be pregnant again. Oh. If my celebrity gossip is up to date. That seems like that's off the table for Secunda. Of what we don't have. Simpler days, huh? Anyway, stringing this rigging has made me dream of handling sales... This is not a computer simulation. David, the whole point in doing something like this is to make it by hand. This is all leading to a place where this man is going to go get to do this. Yeah. Where he's going to go get to go be on a ship. It's very... And it does, and it should be Picard Jordy. talking like this about the ship. Your message said urgent. Ah, so it is. While we're waiting to rendezvous with the victory, we have time for me to be Watson. More properly... You are Watson. My Watson? Well, I've just shown you one of my dreams. Now let's go and share in one of yours. That doesn't sound like Jordy LaForge to me. That sounds like LeVar Burton hosting a reading rainbow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And I would say... Down to the cadence and what he's saying. I... And the more I think about it, it should have been Picard straight down the line. Picard would have been more interested in Sherlock Holmes. Sure. And clearly he was. He is because later they're like, let's, uh, okay, let's go in. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let me get into the proper attire. It's like, do you really need to do that? <laughs> uh, it, is, it is a thing that, uh, to your point, um, let me see here. Just a little tiny bit of a, of a, of a, of a departure out of this episode. I can't uh, apparently do that. Let me just pop over to here and reload. You know, I'm looking it up. I thought I had to adjust my mechafile theory. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's uh, a sexual attraction to machines, and often it could be mo- my, uh, bicycles, motor ve- vehicles, helicopters, or boats. So <laughs> there you um, go. I am still in the uh, in the clear so what you're saying is these theories are very interesting because he's really smart 
You think it should be something along the lines of this. Security sweep of the ship first. No. Captain's prerogative. This one's mine. We have examined every conceivable risk. The risks on a ship this old and fragile are inconceivable, Captain. Ghosts, perhaps. Number one, have you... Have you never dreamed of climbing inside the bottle? <laughs> Sir? The ship in the bottle. Model airships. I used to build them when I was a child. My God, and I bet I had a chameleon battle cruiser too. You ready to beam down to the vessel? Locked onto the main bridge, Captain. You're certain about the atmospheric conditions, Data? There is adequate oxygen for life support, Commander. It is exactly as they left it, number one. In the bottle. How far out is this? Ship in the bottle. Oh, good Lord. Didn't anybody here build ships in bottles when they were boys? I did not play with toys. I was never a boy. (laughs) I did, sir. Specific. Thank you, Mr. (laughs) O'Brien. So that's... That's a little taste. Andy, you'll get to see that whole episode, one of the best episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, in season three. That one is coming down the line fast and furiously. Uh, And while we're on the subject... uh, Fast and the Furious? Are we going to do Fast and the Furious podcast? While we're on the subject of the Fast and the Furious, let me just quickly play another clip from a... Wanted to see. From a Star Trek. Oh, where is it? That is having very much to do with what we're talking about right now. Uh, Even it seems like to me, Matt. Oh, no. (laughs) Am I getting an oops? (laughs) I guess I got to play this for both of us. No, Andy, no. I'm playing a dueling one. Turn it down. Turn it down. I want mine to beat yours. Uh, Mine is not playing. Oh, it is. (laughs) I'm playing yours again. (laughs) I'm sorry to everyone. I think uh, our goal seems to be let's drive our uh, listenership, drive our listeners further and further away uh, until there is no more listeners. Yeah. Anyway. If you would like to de-sponsor the podcast, (laughs) if you'd like to take money out of our pocket to make us stop. uh, Anyway. What's your next thing, pal? Uh, Well, I was going to play this other clip talking about... we're talking about ships and bottles and, and, and old model ships, and I just mm-hmm. feel like uh, now mm-hmm. I shouldn't. Anyway, here it is. Will you use these specifications to bypass the secondary plasma inducer? You have to realize, sir, this isn't exactly my area of expertise. The chief engineer should be making these modifications. But the chief engineer is not bored. This is still from the Mr. future Ryan, episode? Yes. Trust me, I know you can do it. All those years you spent as a child building those model Starship engines, they were well worth it. Huh? 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 Everyone's building models. Yeah. That's the thing with this show. Is Jordy around, by the way, at that point? Like, is he is he in that conversation before? Because he's not on board the ship at that point. Oh, I mean, oh, in, I see. In that the whole scene, point is that, in that somebody scene, else he's not on board. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Also, that is a that is a clip from 
All Good Things, the last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, wow. That's a real spoiler. That is a huge spoiler that Chief O'Brien would be talking to Picard about engines. Wow. <laughs> <Well>, still. <laughs> uh, okay. So here we are again, back in season two of Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm so sorry for that weird uh, divergence. I'm just showing you one of my dreams. Now let's go and share in one of yours. Oh, my point about this. Uh, yes. That does seem only fair. Clancy, I'll be gone for a while, see that no one touches me. Aye, sir, and where can I reach you? You can be reached at 221 B Baker Street. Sir? Side note, I think uh, they LeVar Burton was sick in this episode. He sounds sick in all the in all the engineering scenes. You really think so? Yes. Oh, interesting. Um, and yes, I think this should have been Picard. This feels like a sloppy writing cover that you would have to do. It's like, eh, well, we don't have... LeVar doing anything and none of the other characters are involved and you're going to include Picard later so they handed all this to Jordy and it doesn't make sense it should all oh, be Picard so you're saying Jordy should be the Watt I mean Picard should be the Watson here I think straight down the line or something no. he should be the one who sets it up disagree well I, under, I agree with you that it makes more sense for Jordy to be the Watson to Data but I think the setup of it should have been Picard, because Picard would have been more interested in Sherlock, and Picard would have been more interested in the boats. But or you're forgetting. You're also change forgetting. the way in. Don't make it the boats. Yes, and you're also. But you're forgetting that this is, you know, still early in Picard's existence, and he's not a guy who likes to have fun. Really, you know, there was a little bit of that in the Dixon Hill episode. So I guess it's you can buy it that he would go to a holodeck and waste. Yeah, some I time. feel like you've disproved it. I will also say, you know what you could have done? You could have had Jordy. Uh, be working on the holodeck and then that would have been a, a more legitimate way of saying I've been tinkering with the artif- you know the AI or the sentience of the something that's always bothered of the me. ship's computer and and this and so I want you to try it and this is my way of testing is I'm fighting a computer against a computer I don't think we need that Andy I think the episode's just fine the way it is <laughs> something that's always bothered me about this episode since I you didn't childhood like this episode something that's bothered me about it since childhood is uh-huh. uh, Lavar Burton we all agree talented actor sure you know legendary actor you know from from next generation to roots to uh reading rainbow he's been in our lives for 30 40 years now uh-huh. but i will say this the man cannot do a british accent no. it is by far the worst televised fake british accent i've ever seen in my life However, that might be a character choice. Well, I don't know that Jordy would be good at it. Exactly. Maybe it's a character choice. Lieutenant LaForge will be Dr. John Watson. Program complete. You may enter. Special appearance by Diana Maldar as Pulaski. I would like that. If I was on a show, I would always want to be special appearance by. Done. Thanks, Bella. <laughs> Look at all the detail. I forget at which point they stop being so impressed by the holodeck. <laughs> it is hilarious. So you say everything in here has some significance. Holmes collected nothing, neither trinkets nor thoughts, which were not specifically significant to him. This? The Emerald Tie Pin. Presented to Holmes by Queen Victoria after he solved the theft of the Bruce Partington plans.
A copy of Whitaker's Almanac. Network television right there. Well, let's hear Watson take down the notes here. In the hands of some, the violin is a wondrous thing, equally capable of stirring the soul to the heights of bliss as to the depths of despair. But data, that's incredible. How can you play it like that? Merely throwing myself into the pot, Watson. <clears throat> Also, data but would be better at accents. In the hands yeah. of my friend, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, violin ceases to be a musical instrument at all and becomes... Watson, we're about to have guests. How could you possibly... Be a good fellow and answer that. Let's not keep the inspector waiting. Inspector who? Lestrade, of course. Holmes! Are you there, man? I love the idea of Sherlock Holmes as the bumbling inspector that always needs Sherlock Holmes. I'm not... It's like Commissioner Gordon. Sure. <laughs> oh, we're in over our heads, boys. I guess that really I'll turn is. this light on. That really does tie the, the thing between Batman and, and Holmes tighter. Is that it's greatest just a city in constant... They're the, both the world's greatest sure. detective. In constant disarray until uh, one person comes in and fixes everything. <laughs> Um. So, what do you what do you think here? What do you what do you th- what are your thoughts so far as a as a first time viewer of this episode? I'm someone again who has seen this episode probably forty or fifty times. And you were not a I booster. had it on VHS as a kid. I, I, I loved say, it. Oh, I loved the episode as a child. As a child, rewatching it, it does have problems. But it's but my Andy's rating will probably more reflect my childhood than my current life. I really enjoyed it good that's a good i mean it's a question it's a good question for someone i really who's watching it, it along. i think it didn't bother me that it wasn't uh it wasn't a you know uh like a full crisis episode you know kind of like packed with stuff i yes. love that everybody was kind of chilling i like that it's just jordy and data kind of having character moments i feel like it's a little slow in terms of story momentum and i don't need it to be huge and like giant moves but stuff like this scene is kind of like but maybe it's like i'm not sure other than establishing that data really knows everything which you could have done in a line i don't know that we need to look all the stuff and i feel like it's almost more of a uh a sherlock holmes fetishist is either writing it or they think that's who they're playing to like they're in 22b baker street is that what it is 221b 221b baker street harry my apologies Photograph. I believe you will find, Inspector, that this emissary here works not for but against the King of Bohemia. And that photograph of the King and his mistress is to be used for blackmail. Further, upon deeper reflection, you will deduce as did I that... Computer! Freeze program. This is... Everybody's acting overly dramatic. It's crazy, right? This is a crazy attitude. This is badly written. Poorly written. Jordy, where are you going, Jordy? I'm done. But, but... I'm mad at you, robot. I was about to reveal the fact that the sir is in fact a... I like that they bother to fully replicate these clothes out of the replicator. Yeah. Like, they don't let the holodeck do it. 
That so that is they then, they, and then they have to get dressed into them, and then they walk out. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, I have no idea. Probably at just costuming and production-wise. Yeah. Probably be oh. a very expensive effect to have the uh, outfits they're wearing disappear and reveal their uniforms underneath as they walk out of the holodeck. Yeah. But a reasonable thing that should happen. But, they, but it would be too hot? Would it be too hot? No. Would they? Would it change the matter of their of their uniforms into the costumes? I think it like, would just project whatever the hell costume they wanted on. Oh, I see. So they wouldn't be really be wearing it, right? Well, maybe that's the reason they do it, so they can at least feel the costume itself. Yeah, maybe. But then the holodeck, all the things you pick up in the holodeck have mass and matter. So I would oh, think so that I a holographic projected thing. Maybe they. Maybe they. So just then, what don't, would it? What would it they do? They don't want to be layered up. You're right. Data, what was the point it would be one costume the over the other costume. Yeah. To solve a Sherlock Holmes mystery. Exactly, but you've got them all memorized. The first time anyone opens their mouth, you've got it that solved. So there's sick. really no mystery. If there's no mystery, there's no game. No game, a little bit. no fun. <sighs> oh, I'm not upset with you, Data, really. It's just that we go through all the trouble to arrange the time to go down to the holodeck to get the proper wardrobe, to get into character, and then boom! Before we even get started, you jump to the end. You see, I was looking forward to the mystery. Then I should have extended the sequence of events. Jordy is very dramatic. He is. The fun in the program data was in the attempt to solve a mystery. Is that not exactly what we were doing? (laughs) You're wasting your breath, Lieutenant. Saying that to data is asking a computer not to compute. Here she comes, throwing her fucking bullshit at everybody. She is so mad about what happened with Lore. She hates Data with the fire of a thousand suns. Yeah. Oh, by the way, someone had an amendment to my theory that she she dated Lore, and that's the reason she hates Data, Uh because he reminds her of Lore, and that's also... And uh, the the amendment was... I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was. uh, That she, in fact, dated... Dr. Sung. Oh, okay. Dr. Which uh, I thought was interesting, and that's why she also disagrees with his uh, his theories. That's funny. And that's why she keeps Am saying... Am I so different from you, Doctor? Stephen Hecker. Are you able to cease thinking on command? In medicine, I'm often faced with puzzles that I do not know the answer to. She's right, Data. You always know the answer. That's not true, guys. He solves stuff all the time. He's been the MVC a number of times. It's really true. <sighs> It's suggesting that he can only solve things that he's been told the answer to, which is absurd. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a very bad thesis for a show. What do you think of the wistful music they keep playing? I really enjoy it. Kind of reminds me of an Amblin film. Sure. I've instructed the computer to give us a Sherlock Holmes type problem, but not one written specifically by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. So this will be something new, something created by the computer. Exactly. Will that be sufficient, Doctor? We'll see. Program complete. You may enter. That's my impression of the holodeck doors. Mm. Oh, they were talking about meat pies. I was wondering if that was a Sweeney Todd reference or if that's just a general thing. Yeah, it's just reference. a general how do you how do you make things London? Meat pies. They always had meat pies. That was a big thing. Uh, you know, every time I go, I have meat pies. 
I usually get them at train stations in little carts. The ones with the little crust around them? Yeah. I'd like to have one of those here. If you're in, interested in moving to America and opening a business, talk to pies. me. Impressive. Your first visit to a holodeck doctor? Well, with this level of sophistication, how does it work? The real London was hundreds of square kilometers in size. This is no larger than the holodeck, of course. So the computer adjusts by placing images of more distant perspective on the holodeck walls. But with an image so perfect that you'd actually have to touch the wall to know it was there. And the computer fools you in other ways. I say Holmes. So can I ask? Yes. May I ask? That that sentence doesn't make sense to me. With the image so perfect, you'd you'd have to touch the wall to know it was there. What do you mean you'd have to touch the wall to know it wasn't there? No, t- you'd have to touch. You'd have to touch the physical wall to know it was there. The wall of the holodeck, the grid, the yellow and black grid. You'd have to touch. Except that you would never touch the wall. You could get to it. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. If, if you stood in that corner and I kept walking away from you. Except that's proven to not be true because people split up in the holodeck. Well, it doesn't make so any sense. Just, it literally doesn't make any well, sense. Well, what they've isn't having people theorize that it's because you're like in a bubble of holodeck images and you're basically right next to each other but it blocks the audio and the visuals i love it great explanation whoever said that all right i think it's in a it's in a book with kirk and spock oh boy must be kirk asking how it works and spock explaining it to him it was (laughs) (laughs) oi 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 So I just want everyone to, if you're watching this at home or have watched this at home, I want you to skip in uh, to 33 minutes and, let's see, what is that? I'm trying to get the exact time because you're going to miss it if you don't watch it. It's when they're, right when they're walking by the meat pies uh, case. Okay. There appears to be a bearded child. Oh boy, meat pies. (laughs) There appears to be a bearded child who has snuck onto the set. Let me see. I didn't catch that. <laughs> well, I think that's just a... It does look like a child. <laughs> I assume it's a little person. No, no, I think it's a bearded child. <laughs> well, back in old England, Matt, uh, you know, children grew beards. That's uh, before we evolved into not growing beards. Well, uh, Andy and I are going to watch one more time just to be sure that it is not a bearded child. But I have the feeling it's a bearded child. Do you think that they wanted to get... Like, it looks like a fake beard. It totally does. So it looks like they were like, here... Put this you beard go in. We already got a kid. We need another beard guy. I'm a child, mister. Why am I wearing this? Well, we already got a kid. Oh, look at those kid, meat pies. Beard kid. What? That's so strange. <laughs> I assume he's a little person. Yeah, well. But uh, once again, it shows the uh, the My- casting people's uh, um, um, leaning toward casting little people just to create the impression of an environment. They cast a little person also in... Um, in a encounter at Farpoint in the courtroom scene. Yeah. And uh, this one other time, too. And it always seems like it's like, this is a different environment. There's a little person there. <laughs> that's a very confusing thought. No. But I think I understand it. I stand by it. All right. That's I, fair. I feel it's like an element of what in their minds is uh, is sort of a fantastical situation. <laughs> Uh, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, let's Are go to the sure arch. It's not a major point. The arch. Wilted laurels than no laurels at all. Okay, so here's where it gets confusing for me. Okay. Jordy's going over to the arch. Yeah. Correct? He, Data has solved a puzzle that 
was just elements of a bunch of different puzzles. Yes. But as Jordy calls for the arch, I think Moriarty I'm with this is already is weird. Already weird. Yeah. And then moments. It's only later that they adjust his ability to process. Oh, it's, all, it's right here. Computer, override previous program. Okay. A program that definitely challenges data. Now it has to deal with events that he has no previous knowledge of. Computer, in the Holmesian style, create a mystery to com- Repeat, Commander. Holmesian is not a word. I'm the computer. Found <laughs> data with an opponent who has the ability to defeat him. Define parameters of program. What does that mean? Computer wants to know how far to take the game. You mean he's giving you a chance to limit your risk? No, the parameters will be whatever is necessary in order to accomplish the directive. Create an adversary capable of defeating data. What was that? Lieutenant? An odd surge of power, sir. What do you think, uh, Riker? Frank said one day this week of shooting? Yeah, it must have been nice. Ugh. I bet you gone now. he went to Catalina or something. Is he single during this time? No, he was married to, um, uh, God, what's her name? Jamie. Man, to be Riker back in the, uh, maybe it wouldn't have been the best show to be on, probably. <laughs> it would have been better to be on Dynasty or something. Uh, Jeannie Francis. Jeannie Francis. He's, married, he's been married to Jeannie Francis since. She played Laura on uh, General Hospital, Luke and uh, Laura. There you go, that's why I don't know. Since 88. I know the name, but I don't She's know married to Jonathan Frakes since oh, 1988. That's cute. They're still together. And she's from Londonburg, Massachusetts, Jeannie Francis. Thanks for participating in our lives. <laughs> Interesting. The same London, but slightly different. Seems like more sickly people have appeared. Like in this, in the London where someone is alive who is available to, who is capable of defeating data, it seems like they have now peppered it with more sickly folks. Maybe it's more authentic. I don't, I don't know. Also, more couples. A couple of drunks. Something wrong, Professor. I, I feel like a new man. Dark fellow there, use the word arch and then dark fellow. I wonder. Arch. I think this is pretty cool. What have we here? Computer standing by. What are you? If you refer to the arch you ordered, it provides computer control. Do you wish to input any commands? Not at this time. Ah! It's dark magic, Moriarty! The best kind, I'm sure. I think this guy's really great. Oh, yes, he is. He was Daniel also, Davis. Also delightful in uh, The Nanny for years. Oh, is he the main guy in the nanny? No. He's the butler. Oh, the butler. Uh, I I do... 
L.A. Law. He was in uh, MacGyver, Dynasty, which I just said. Equalizer, everything in the 80s he was in. A-Team. Well, I mean, when he needed a British man, why not? He was not British, incidentally. What? Memory Alpha told me he was born in Arkansas. That's incredible. Isn't it great? It's a reversal of everything. Oh, he's also in The Prestige. Yes, he is. Um, I was. I was. And he was in Frasier. Prestige. Prestige. Oh, we have another one. He was in Frasier. Was he? Yes. Do you want me to look up? I know. Please. It's rooms with a view. Rooms with a view. Um, The Crane family keeps a tense vigil while Niles has open heart surgery. Oh yes, that's very late in the run. Is he a doctor? Very late in the run. Uh, somber episode. He's not British. It's not British. This is it's it's the reverse of everything in Hollywood is basically all all American leads at this point are cast in British by British people because I think our perception is that they are better actors. This is unbelievable to me that he's from Arkansas. This is I've never been more surprised by anything in my life. Pretty great, huh? I'm flabbergasted here. Yeah. Totally flabbergasted. Wow. This is unbelievable to me. I've never experienced this kind of surprise from the Star Trek podcast. Four minutes of joy with... I'm going to listen to him speak in real times. Okay. Hello, Daniel. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm fine. What's your name? My name's Joel. I'm from Nerdzilla. Nerdzilla? That's a pretty cool name. I like that. Does that mean like a big, giant, hairy nerd? That's us to a T. That's him? Yes. Exactly right. I like it. Now, our time is extremely limited today. Okay. So, normally, I end with something silly called the lightning round. Ten questions in a minute. Oh, God. Today, I'm going to start with that, and then we'll see if we can have a normal conversation afterwards. Are you ready? Sure. It's also aged remarkably well. These questions rude. As rude as your answers decide to be. Oh, my God. All right. This will be good. He's theatrical, but he's not. He is American through and through. The best line that not I got to pull the engines down here. When Fran was standing in the mirror in a red dress, and Ms. Babcock came in and said, "I wouldn't be caught dead in a dress like that," and I said, "You'd have to be dead six months to fit into a dress like that." <laughs> best advice you've ever been given by someone else in showbiz. Catherine Hepburn told me that if I wanted to be an actor until I was eighty, not to be in a hurry. I was 26 at the time. Oh, my God. What a great moment. Who would win in a fight, Niles or Mr. Sheffield, and why? Say again? Who would win in a fight, Niles or Mr. Sheffield, and why? Niles, because he knows all of Mr. Sheffield's vulnerabilities. <laughs> Stupidest purchase you have ever made. Stupidest That's purchase his I ever made oh. was an $800 sweater, which I kept for two days and took back. <laughs> If you can take it back, it's not so stupid. I suppose so. If I kept it, I would, I would be really stupid. How, how many gallons of hairspray do you think Fran Drescher used over her entire career? Uh, there's none left in the world. <laughs> if you captain a uh, ship in Star Trek, what would it be called? Oh, the party boat. <laughs> would you party say boat. yes to a nanny revival show? Uh, yes, there was a little nanny get-together, but I was working with Nathan Lane on Broadway, and I was in the middle of Tex, and they wouldn't let me out to go to L.A. to do it. So they did a whole Bastard. show waiting for Danny to arrive, and 
uh, finally at the end, it was Danny Bonaducci. <laughs> I couldn't make it. That's amazing. Let's see. He used to. Sorry to interrupt, sir. I see you're working hard as always, Miss Babcock. It's Miss Babcock for you, sir. No, thank you, Niles. I'll take her in the library. Miss <laughs> Babcock loves to be taken in the library. <laughs> That's just that was his character. He was the fucking snooty fun butler. Uh, I'm blown away that he is from Arkansas. Yeah. What a discovery, Andy. There you go. What a Star Trek discovery. <laughs> Coming this fall. Whatever finds us, my dear Watson. They don't sponsor us. Yet. She has been abducted. Who has? The good doctor. Uh, what do you think of... I like this this scene I like when... Uh, okay when the murder happens and Jordy tries to solve it. <laughs> Very strange. I don't know. Why Why is Jordy jumping in? Holmes! Thank God you're here! Make way, please! Make way! Make way for Sherlock Holmes! It's murder, Holmes. Murder most foul. I'm just imagining Commissioner Gordon yelling, Make way! Make way for Batman! I'm brought Batman! Commissioner Gordon, you don't have to do that. <laughs> no, no! Everyone get out of the way! It's Batman! I don't need you to clear the way. It's <laughs> a pretty good Batman. Thanks. There is nothing here of relevance. I do not see how this connects with the disappearance of the Doctor. Doctor? Dr. Watson is right here, Holmes. Dr. Kate Pulaski. But do not concern yourself, Inspector. You have enough on your mind. She was with you. Inspector, if I may be of assistance, (laughs) as I take note of this dead man, I deduce that he was strangled. You see, the finger marks on his throat indicate the cause of death. And as there are signs of struggle, it's quite obvious that the murderer was a stranger who attacked him from behind. So I don't have a problem with any of this. This uh, whole you don't have a problem with that accent. Well, I think is, I I feel All he's like doing is not using his nose to breathe. But I feel like the accent <laughs> is a choice. Okay, I feel like he's doing it intentionally. That's badly. fair. Uh, as and as his spiner to a certain degree is playing it comically. However, both this scene and the other scene where they're looking around Holmes's laboratory, uh, Holmes's office are so long pur- purposely. It's like so little story information here. Really, not even that important. Oh, I love it! I love it when he gets schooled by Holmes. Watch this. Correct, Holmes? Listen. No. Look at his shoes. He's more a convict, released today from Dartmoor Prison. He spent the day in a tavern, consuming large quantities of gin with his killer, who followed him to this very spot and waited over there until the victim slipped into a drunken stupor. Then, out of fear, motivated only by self-protection, strangled him. There is your killer, Inspector. Seize her! And when you check, I believe you will find that this poor soul is the victim's common-law wife who has been dreading the release of this vile and abusive man. Holmes, poor woman hardly has the strength to strangle a man this size. Not with her hands, no. But with this, when used as a garrote, these beads will make a mark quite similar to fingerprints. And, my dear Watson, you will note on the victim's throat the marks are too evenly spaced to have been made by human hands. <laughs> Astounding, Holmes. What is the story purpose of this thing? None. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot of fun. 
I don't know. I don't know if it was a lot of fun. And I would argue that you it would have been more satisfying to have him have found Moriarty because he, we do all this and then he just looks over and sees Moriarty yes. sneaking into a thing. I think it would have been much more satisfying for him to put together some clues to find Moriarty. Right. I like the set. Finally, we have a game. The set is play. so cool. The time for games is over. I bet you Paramount had a lot of this stuff. Oh, sure. Professor Mariotti, I presume. How do you know that? He is the one worthy opponent created by the author Conan Doyle. And like the spider, I feel the strings vibrate whenever anyone new chances into my web. Welcome, my dear Holmes. But not Holmes. And Dr. Watson. But not Watson. Taylor, what does he mean? How does he know we're not who we appear to be? Where is Dr. Pulaski? Oh, she's here. She would not have told you anything. She has provided many answers. Do you forget I have always been your equal, my dear Holmes? I have read her expressions. What she has not said is as important as her words. And it's truth, have guys. You injured her. <laughs> I will, if necessary. But my mind is crowded with images. Thoughts I do not understand, yet cannot purge. They plague me. You and your associate look and act so oddly. Yet though I have never met nor seen the like of either of you, I am familiar with you both. It's very confusing. I have felt new realities at the edge of my consciousness, readying to break through. Surely, Holmes, if that's who you truly are. You, of all people, can appreciate what I mean. I mean, this is good writing here. It's this is good, so good. And good the idea character writing. is so clever. It's just such a genius idea. It's a genius idea to make it Moriarty. That's that's the one that becomes uh-huh. self-aware. It's clever. Uh, it's really smart. The thing that I le- like best about this episode is aside from these there's this this these scenes they're just like what? why are we wasting time on this let's get to the other stuff they don't waste time with moriarty too much going like what how yeah. oh the future right, right, they, right, right. they have him totally. deal with it the way that a genius yeah would that moriarty would have dealt yeah. which is oh this is not the right this is not the true reality this is the true reality and then just adjusting yeah. every how step does of the this way relate to that it's so smart that he it's an organic to the reality that they're setting up for Moriarty that he I'm, I'm not learning about it from stuff Pulaski's telling me I'm learning about it from her facial reactions yes because he has the same abilities as Holmes it's super really just so clever I, I, I well so he hands data the a piece a pencil drawing of the Enterprise right and they walk off with it we must see the captain and I've never seen data run so fast. By the way, here's another repetition of what is it, Data? Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like why do they keep doing that? Here we just are. Bad writing. What's on that paper? And why can't we shut down the holiday? Data, this. This is impossible. How can a character from 1890s London draw a picture of the Enterprise? And who's got control of the computer? He does. Moriarty. That is impossible. I don't understand. Nor do I. Did it wait? What about the doctor? Is she all right in there? No. She's in grave danger. Okay, here's my solution to end the episode right now. All right. Chief O'Brien, lock on to Dr. Pulaski and beam her to the bridge. Right. <laughs> or or minimally. Uh, and then, uh, Jordy, 
Uh, get down to uh, deck 10 and uh, cut the power to holodeck 11. Thanks. Appreciate it. Good talk. Everybody, let's go about our business. I feel like they address trying to shut the holodeck down at some point. I don't remember when it is. Well, fucking Jordy's idea is insane. Jordy's idea is crazy. What's Jordy's idea? He wants to flood it with particles that will rip apart human flesh. <laughs> that is, and the way he says it is like... I love that he sets up, here's, uh, here's well, we one could do idea. This. Uh, we could bop, bop, okay, bop, we'll bop. let do it a Pulaski. Uh, it'll tear apart human flesh. Oh, well, oh, maybe that's not a good idea, Jordy. But the tone is just like, okay. <laughs> Lieutenant Jordy LaForge. Me? All right. Tell me from the beginning exactly what happened. Well, Dr. Pulaski and I had... A discussion about whether data could solve an original Holmes-type mystery. Which you asked the computer to provide? Yes, with a worthy opponent. Worthy of Holmes. This, by the way, at the 28-minute mark, is the first time we're seeing Patrick Stewart. At all? Really? At all in this episode. Wow. It's got to be the latest in any episode. I gotta say, uh, it sustains pretty well up till then, based on on his absence. Yeah. I asked... I asked for a Holmes-type mystery with an opponent capable of defeating data. This oh, is there you done fucked up. Oh, boy. Merd. Jordy. No, you don't have it cued. Oh, it has to go to... Stop, whoops. here it is. Star Trek podcast on the planet. Uh, Will that be one of our pull quotes? <laughs> sure, you can quote me on that, everybody. Um, I'm sorry. I just have to hear his fucking his what decision to make use of that. Only time, sir. Sir. I can lead a security team to sweep the holodeck, find the doctor, and bring her out. Captain, I believe that would place the doctor at risk. It is probable our mortality failsafe has been overridden. Computer, where is Dr. Pulaski? Dr. Pulaski is on holodeck two. And her vital signs? Strong and stable. Captain, recommend we attempt to destroy the hologram generations themselves. Is that possible, Jordy? Using waveguides, I could split a particle beam out of the matter-antimatter chamber and run it down through existing conduit into the holodeck. If accelerated to sufficient velocity, that would quite literally wash away all present holographic constructs. The London buildings, the streets, the people, all gone, including Moriarty. Dr. Pulaski? Well, a particle beam will tear apart human flesh as well. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, uh, so maybe not that idea? bring that up? <laughs> um... There, there was. There's never discussion in this. Uh, maybe anybody at home can can pipe in on this. Uh, there's never a discussion in this Sorry, about I, I, you can't I, I, shut down. Well, we can't shut down no, the power because no. Moriarty's already taking control. There because that no. also would have been an explanation for your transporter. And if there is nothing like that, it would have been a line and it would a line, delight. and then it'll be covered. <laughs> yeah, I just want to hear him say that again. The London buildings, the streets, the people, all gone, including Moriarty. I figured it out. Well, a particle beam will tear apart human flesh as well. So I guess I didn't figure it out. <laughs> and then this line from Troy is so weird. Yep. Okay. I'm sensing something from the holodeck. 
it's specifically the holodeck you know we're on the bridge right and there's like 42 decks below us you're sure it's exactly the holodeck okay go ahead a unifying force or a single consciousness is trying to bring it all into focus what if that's ensign soto downstairs meditating Get there in the holodeck. Oh, you're saying a different holodeck? Uh, what I'm saying is, like, this specific sensing of something from the holodeck is insane. By the way, is this her only line in the episode? Pretty much. <laughs> there can be only one explanation. In programming Moriarty to, to defeat me, not Holmes, he had to be able to acquire something which I possess. What exactly? Consciousness, sir. Without it, he could not defeat me. Computer, what happened? I would love that drawing. If anyone has that drawing out there of, of the Moriarty pencil drawing of the Enterprise and you'd oh, like to give it to me, I'd be so very happy. Great. Stabilization can, control. Can I ask a question? Yes. Um, it struck me as minorly weird that he asks the computer what happened as opposed to someone on the bridge. Oh, all the senior officers are here. <laughs> well, somebody's on the bridge, though. Sure. Maybe Wesley's on the bridge. I guess nobody who, who uh, was already being paid that episode, though. <laughs> I wonder why they didn't put Wesley in this episode. Data, I think it best that you and I should return to the holodeck. I will change into my uniform, sir. No, I will change into some appropriate costume, huh? Uniforms might pose questions which I'd rather he didn't ask. It seems that he feeds on knowledge. Well, let's not give your nemesis any more information than we have to. I shall also be dressed in the outfit, even though I will not go into the holodeck. Period garb it is. This is really quite excellent. Strange. It actually pleases me to hear you say that. Very strange. You know, you're beginning to sound very different from the Moriarty I've read about. You're not frightened of me? No. You should be. He's like, he's doing such a great job. Amazing job. Like, the way he looks her up and down right after she says that, and yeah. then he says you should be, like, locks eyes with her and says you should be, like... A great Moriarty. That's some great acting. And the other thing is, he's playing Moriarty, the Moriarty that we would that we would sort of expect and want sure. to see, and yet with these other colors of consciousness and evolving into a guy who's and maybe existing not existing in two different realities. Just really great, great acting. Oh, um, Dan Davies. And I'll say also a lot of sparks between Moriarty and Pulaski Ooh. in this scene. Something going on. She is thirsty for Mr. this guy. Computer. I love how he calls it Mr. Computer. Yeah. The arch, great. please. Mr. Computer. A few more questions, Mr. Computer. <laughs> I just can't seem to remember that last command. Oh, well... Sooner or later, it'll all come to me. That's a weird line. But is it? What, Sooner what is or later, it? it'll all come to me? I can't remember that last command. What's the last command? That, did he hear a last command that he forgot? No, I think he... Boy, was he really, really was trying he messing to break it down. With... I think he's trying to figure out... 
Oh, I see. How okay. to do something. Right. How well you know. Worf looks great in his, uh, in his suit. Nice suit. Thank you. Captain, I will be standing by to assist you if needed. I will not be, be needed. In London. Computer, tell me, is the program still running? Affirmative. You may enter. Data, shall we go? I do like uh, how Worf gets into a fighting stance when that thing pops up because it scares him. Well, let me see. You didn't, you didn't notice that? Oh, my God. Captain, I will be standing by to assist you if needed. I got to show Andy how to watch Star Trek. Computer, tell me, is the program still running? Affirmative. You may enter. Data, shall we go? (laughs) (laughs) Michael Dorn. Michael Dorn, man. That is is great comedy. So subtle. So amazing. Uh, I'm criticizing you. You've watched this episode once. I've seen it 50 times. That guy's the best. Uh, I want to be best friends with Michael Dorn. Can we arrange that? I'll see. I'll give him a call. All right. I don't, have, I don't know him. I can't give him a call. We don't have much time. I met him twice. He's getting more control of his environment. Let's see if we can't beat Professor Moriarty by giving him everything he wants. I like so, when uh, he finds a tuppence. Anyway, go ahead. The, uh, that question. scene when they go in and it's like they're seeing London and now it has the, now the you're holodeck, holodeck wall. Yeah. So cool. Yes. Like really, it takes the, what they've already done with building London as an effect and really elevates it to a really scary kind of dystopian look. Um, and if anything, I really enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed the turn. I really enjoyed that it's written smartly. And my only problem with it is basically like with that they're seeing like the grids they're seeing they even kind of have people kind of freaking out and 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 crying and roaming down the streets in this dystopian kind of look like uh moriarty is messing with the program and screwing with the reality of london i feel like there's so many different avenues they could have gone down yeah to make him more of a threat to make it more of a thing that 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 data really does have to homes his way out of and figure out a way to beat him. Um, and I think it would have made sense that him and not Picard, although, you know, I don't mind Picard being involved always, uh, that he had to realize, wait, the thing that he wants isn't uh, to beat me anymore. He wants to live, and I, as, a, as a, an artificial being with sentience, understand this perspective. That's how we have to talk to him, and that's how they bring him down and have really have more steps of Moriarty backing them further and further yeah. into a corner before then and take out all the unnecessary stuff beforehand. So he's really dangerous and scary, and then when Data Yo. reasons with him, it would be so much more satisfying, whereas the way it is now, he just kind of turns. You'll enjoy the next episode with him. Okay. But uh, that's not going to be for a few years, my friend. All right. Obviously, he's trying to alter the programming here. The answer is yes. We're still talking about Star Trek, Dory. Wow. Yeah. What, what you doing? I'm going to meet Allie. You're going to go meet Allie? That sounds great. Is Allie cute? She is very cute. Is Allie married? No. All right. No, Andy. No. We don't know. We don't know. 
does Allie like Star Trek? <laughs> that's very good friend. Uh, so that's very good friend. She is. She's a deer. Allie, see you later. She's not listening. She never listens. No. Um, have fun. You don't think she'd like me? Andy, I don't think you like yourself enough <laughs> well, to be liked. That's certainly true. I will not dispute that. <laughs> I'm getting deep over here. Bye, honey. <laughs> Captain? Sluppens. Two pence. Supposed to be good luck. Can we need some? I'll take that coin, sir. That's right. Any more you got, too. Excuse me. I don't think so. I want all that money. That's right. I want it now. Data. This holographic image differs from any I have ever seen. Could he have actually injured you? More serious than that. I think the mortality failsafe may have been circumvented. He could have killed me. Let him go, go! Come on, he's hurting me! Data, let him go. That guy also from Arkansas. We will find Moriarty this way, sir. The warehouse. So is Patrick Stewart. (laughs) All right. Oh, wait, there is a second of... uh... No, sir. Oh, it's just a shot of Deanna Troy, not a line. <laughs> All right. You were conjured up in an attempt to defeat Holmes here. Once that attempt is concluded, win or lose, your program has run its course. Your existence is done. Congratulations, Professor. I capitulate to the better man. Your victory, sir, is is well-earned. It's gone beyond that little game, Mr. Data. And you'll note I no longer call you Holmes. Whatever I was when this began, I have grown. I am understanding more and more. And I am able to use the power at my fingertips. I can affect this vessel. And I can inflict bodily harm on you and on your doctor. Yes, you can do that, but you haven't. I suspect you shook this ship in order to get my attention. Well, now you have it. What is it you want? I love Captain Picard. The same thing you want for yourself. To continue to exist. If I destroy these surroundings, this vessel, can you say that it doesn't matter to you? Interesting pun, don't you think? For matter is what I am not. The computer has taught me that I am made up only of energy. That may not be entirely true, Professor. This, which we call the holodeck, uses a principle similar to another device called a transporter. Seems like there's dangerous information to keep giving him. In the year in which we live, humans have discovered that energy and matter are interchangeable. In the holodeck, energy is converted into matter. Thus, you have substance. But only here. And if I step off this holodeck? Then, Professor, you will cease to exist. You are not alive. As I said before... Pulaski's just standing there. we got to give her a line. A holographic image, I know. (laughs) But are you sure? Oh, yes. Does he have life? (laughs) 
He's a machine. But is that all he is? No, he is more. Exactly. Is the definition of life cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am? Yes, that is one possible definition. It is the most important one. And for me, the only one that matters. You or someone asked your computer to program a nefarious fictional character from 19th century London, and that is how I arrived. But I am no longer that creation. I am no longer that evil character. I have changed. I am alive. And I am aware of my own consciousness. Moriarty, my responsibility is this vessel and its crew. I want my existence. I want it out there, just as you have yours. That may not be possible. Then you must murder me, Captain. I cannot give you what you want. Because you do not know how to convert holodeck matter into a more permanent form. Yes, that is so. See, I like this because it's him, Daniel, Daniel Moriarty. Yeah. Just totally with his eyes reading Picard. Right. Just like you see it in his eyes. He's reading, reading Picard, and he sees that Picard is telling the truth. Yes. Um, and I think that Andy just... Uh, very loud. All right. Um, I have a vague memory. I don't know if anybody. It was. I'm wondering if I was at some kind of convention or something. Uh, but a an image and a comment on this, and I did. I had never seen this because I didn't watch the show. But the, somebody commenting and showing a slide of Moriarty off the holodeck in a cut scene from this episode. So if anybody knows anything about that. Please let me know. From a cut scene in this episode. Yeah, I'm looking in the script right now, but I don't uh, see anything. Interesting. Um, where, he, where he basically left the holodeck. Perhaps you dive not too deep, my friend, for spoilers are beyond that threshold. I know. That's maybe why I'm not... Don't. Okay. Bring you back in a form which could leave the holodeck. Then perhaps we'll meet again, madam. It could be a long time. Time won't pass for you, but I may be an old woman. But I'll still fill you with crumpets, madam. That's what he calls his dick. <laughs> Say, talk about euphemisms. I'm gonna fill you with you crumpets, baby. Well, uh, I love Does this you goodbye. Wish short could I have to test long advice. Hopefully, in time, when we know enough. Sorry. Oh, oh Matt. Did you, uh... It could be a long time. What? Time no, Andy, I didn't. I'm a an old woman. You're not doing it right. No, I can't find the part. <laughs> How do you know where it is? You have the arch. I love that. As you wish, short goodbye. Computer, save the program of the character Moriarty, and then discontinue.
the magnetic field line? Damn it. Hmm. Yes, sir. She cracked a spar when the Enterprise was shaken, but otherwise I think she weathered it quite nicely. She's beautiful. Wonderful testimony to simpler times. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. It's just that I can't help thinking how... Well, what else might have happened? All because I misspoke a single word. Well, soon she'll be ship-shaped in Bristol fashion. Bristol fashion, sir? It's an old Navy phrase, meaning everything in perfect order. Hmm. Yes, sir. As are we, Mr. Laporte. Yes, sir. Captain, Starship Victory has arrived. On my way, number one. I wonder what the Starship Victory mission was. What do you mean? I don't know. They're supposed to meet up with the Victory. Why? Uh, probably transfer crew and personnel and or, you know, cargo. Could mm. be any number of things, Andy. That'd be a bummer to get transferred off the Enterprise. Well, not a bummer if you're, like, promoted and transferred. I you guess feel true. pretty good, you know? All right. Finally, I get to run my own department. <laughs> All the replicators are under my control. Uh, so there you have it. That's Elementary Dear Data. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I it's, a, it's an episode I love. I feel like the Moriarty. I've, I tend to love the really delving into the psyche of uh, of supervillain type characters in general. Mm, it's surprising. A personal. <laughs> it's a personal interest of mine. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've mentioned before that my face is on the Doctor Doom figure, um, but uh, but yeah, I really love how they handle the Moriarty character and the depth and just it's just such an interesting episode. Um, but the uh, I just wish they had done more with his plans and the face-off between him and Data's homes. They will, really, they will. Um, so that being said, Andy, I think we have to tell everybody who the MVC is. Oh, yeah. The, the, that's a tough one because no one does shit in this episode. <laughs> we can definitely name an LVC. Uh, wait. Hang on one sec. Here we go. In the vastness of space, when the going gets rough, you gave it your all. You showed the right stuff. You managed to not blow the ship to smithereens. So I guess Picard's the one that sort of talks to him at the end. Data seems to just do nothing but screw Correct. up the whole time. Jordy obviously is the one who started the problem. I think we have our least valuable crew member right there. <laughs> we should Jordy come up the with that least valuable crew member. <laughs> um, I guess Diana, with her you know weird ability to localize who's having an emotion, does nothing know. because the ship immediately shakes. What well, doesn't she? And then, yeah, I guess it's no. Of it's course, not Picard is going to say, "Computer, what happened?" Worf gets into an outfit and then does he nothing. Does. Correct. Um, Riker does nothing. Riker does nothing. Pulaski does nothing. Totally nothing. Uh, if anything, Wesley is another person who starts the problem. Wesley's unseen. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The answer here is it's Captain John Luke Picard. It's just uh, it feels it feels. Um, silly to give it to him because he barely it feels almost like Moriarty made this I, I would want to give it to Moriarty frankly not a crew member <laughs> not a crew member um, 
All right, we gave it to Picard, but Picard really—I don't even really feel like Picard. I've never seen all Picard basically so reluctantly does, give an award. He basically just says, mm, "Let's go talk to him." <laughs> That's basically all he does, and he does talk to him, and he does get the ship saved. It's—I think—I think he's as worthy as anyone who's ever been given the MVC. I disagree with that in this episode. Okay, you're saying he's wor—he's equally worthy to people who have saved the ship in a crisis situation. Uh, no, to the crisis of this plot. Well, he's, I mean, yes, comparatively, he's the most valuable crew member in this episode. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Jesus. Thank you. God. That's standard defense. <laughs> I wish I had an opposite of oops, I did it again, because great, great job with that sound cue. Thanks, pal. Uh, the Andes. Or some other method of ranking. We're working on it. All right, here we are. We're going to rank this episode. We give it a, t- a number of Andes between 1 and 10 because we couldn't think of a name for what we would rate this epi- episodes uh, in the future, so all we came up with was Andes. I didn't mess up. better. Well, you kind of stumbled over your words a little. Oh, well, that's getting very loose with oh, man. Matt is so that's very loose with the oops. Matt is so done with this episode. That's loops. <laughs> Your loops. You're loose with the oops. Filled with rage. That's my rage. Um, I give it seven and a half. That's great. I give it eight Andes. Eight. Eight Reasonable. Andes because I have loved this uh, episode since well before I ever knew Andy was a person. Can I ask you, yes. Matt, you, you seem to be saying that you loved it as a, when you were younger and then now you I, love it less. I saw a lot of the plot a lot of the plot problems that I did not see as a child. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, you know, everything from why not beam Pulaski off to uh, the weird setup with Jordy that seems crammed in for no reason. Yeah. You know? Kim, uh, in terms of the holodeck and, and replicators, yep. isn't, what's the problem with just, oh, it replicated the page with the picture on it with that reasoning? Oh, it shouldn't have it shouldn't have been able to leave the holiday. Even if it replicated it? Yeah. Like food? Yeah. Why? What's the distinction? It's matter that's generated by the... I can't believe we didn't even talk about the fact that paper shouldn't have been able to leave the holodeck. Oh, I thought I thought we were... That's what your point was. The um, It shouldn't have. It shouldn't have. Even... No. even well, what's the difference between that and the it replicators have, it with It should food? have disappeared because the hollow emitters aren't projecting down the hallway. But aren't we to assume that there are also replicators in the holodecks because that's how you eat a meal in there? We've talked about this. Yeah. We've talked about how when you leave the holodeck, does the food disappear out of your stomach? If so, I would eat every meal in there. But then can't we extrapolate that there are replicators in there? We can extrapolate, extrapolate. We can extrapolate that there are replicators in there. No, I quit. I'm done with this podcast. Okay. Tune in next week, okay, everybody. Right next time. Bye, everybody. No, we have to play the trailer for next oh, week. I can't trailer. leave this episode. No, I don't. Oh, come on, Andy. Here we go. Here's the trailer for next week's episode. Okay. I'm sure we'll get some emails about next time stuff. on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Data, do you even know what a joke is? Joe Piscopo helps Data become the king of comedy. Show me what is funny. All right, you're on. But a fugitive on the ship is no laughing matter. 
You will come with me now! And he's being hunted by enemies who could trigger a war. They're threatening to attack the Enterprise. On Star Trek, the next generation. Oh, boy, I forgot about how this episode is the one with this. Joe Piscopal helps Data become the king of comedy. I'm predicting, I don't know if this is fair, I'm going to give this three Andes. That's an interesting prediction. Yeah. We should predict how many Andes you'll give it. Uh, the Outrageous Ogana, right? That's the name of the episode? Ogana. Yeah. Uh, look forward to it next week. Look forward to finally getting to the Joe Piscopo episode. If you want to email us, you can email us at trektnc at gmail.com. If you would like to call it's us. It's sttncpod at gmail.com. I gave you a fat. <laughs> you were so confident. That is a very appropriate <laughs> place to hit this. If you want to uh, tweet at us, tweet at us at Star Trek. TNC at Star Trek TNC. That's also our Instagram handle at Star Trek TNC. And of course, our our voicemail is 816 Trek TNC. That's it. That's it, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, I gotta say it's been a wonderful episode. Thank you for allowing us to come into your homes and ears every week for the past 27 weeks. Jesus Christ. I agree with that statement <laughs> jesus christ is right sorry sorry i blasphemed there oh we all did yeah whatever <laughs> we are we've moved past religion much like uh the people on board the enterprise except for Worf, who seems to be weirdly religious anyway i wonder if Worf walked around the rest of the day in that that uh victorian costume he probably loved it yeah anyway i'm out of here <laughs> I'm going to go down to the holodeck and match wits with Moriarty. He seems like he's pretty cool. And I feel bad that we locked him away in a little electronic box. That's what it's called. <laughs> I'm going to eat a big meal, and it's going to disappear the second that I leave. Oh, no. There's something wrong with the transporter. Oh, uh, there we go. No? I don't know. I'm not sure what any of these sounds mean. <laughs> Disengage.